Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Welcome to Episode 7 of The Milkman of St. Gaffs. This is a serialized podcast, so if you're new, the story will make somewhat more sense if you start with episode one. This week, I'm very excited to give shout-outs to some new patrons. We have Larry Gardner, Fly Sprayer, James Turner, Milkman White Badge, Eric S., Apprentice, Yarrow Paisley, Apprentice, Steve Meehan, Apprentice, Marie Norris, Fly Sprayer, and Kyle Lawler, a Department of Lactic Affairs Regional Manager, who will be getting a mug. Congratulations, Kyle. Thank you very much for your support. It means a lot and goes a long way to making this sustainable. If you'd like to find out more about how to support the Milkman of St. Gaffs, go to howiemilkman.com. You can also find the transcripts there in the show notes. Also in the show notes, you'll find a link to Artlist, a service that I use for a lot of my sound effects and music. If you use the link to subscribe there, you'll get two free months on top of a one-year subscription. 
And I wanted to mention that I was pleased this week to discover that Artlist now has some royalty-free classical music. In fact, I've used one piece in this episode, and if you can name the composer, I'll give you a shout-out in the next episode. And with that, let's get on to the story, and thank you so much for listening. It's time for The Milkman of St. Gaffs, starring Howie the Milkman. After work Monday, out in the parking lot, Walker was telling one of his usual tales. Not having a lot to do, I hung around to listen. The guys back then, they looked out for each other. There wasn't a lot of infighting. Of course, the job was harder back then. No trucks, no machines. I tell you boys, the easier the job gets, the more it's all me, me, me. But as I was saying... There was a new boss, man they'd brought over from the mainland, you see, name of Walsh. Now, this Walsh didn't like the way we washed the bottles. All done. I'm not really sure why I was sticking around. His stories always rubbed me the wrong way. I spent half the time watching the other milkmen, all wide-eyed and agog at the old geezer's wisdom. So he rigs up this machine, but the damn thing wouldn't work. And he says, the belt's stuck, Smitty, get your finger out. And Smitty says, it's not stuck, if I let this thing go. And here it came, the inevitable climax. There's Walsh with every damned bottle in the station come crashing down on top of him. Broken glass as far as you could see. And everyone laughed like it was the most hilarious thing in the world. And for some reason I asked, and what did you do for bottles after that? Did they have to stop the milk deliveries? Everyone stopped laughing. Walker hesitated a second. I think we had to get a rush shipment of bottles. We might have missed a day or two. And everyone started walking away. I felt really annoyed. For some reason, stories like that always drove me up the walls. They were always so neat and tidy, and everything just fell into place the right way. Mostly, I think stories are just someone trying to make sense of a bunch of stuff that can't make any sense. But without the stories, I suppose their lives would just be intolerable nonsense. I'd heard a lot of stories from the war. It was always, an inch to the left and it would have been me who'd gotten blown up instead of such and such and so on. But such and such never gets to tell their side of the story. And what about me and Stormy? Our story, which seemed so bright and promising, it didn't have a happy ending, now did it? And I thought about that peckerhead McMurdle, still in there, spraying. Maybe it was time I went in and talked to him, man to man, about stealing my girl. So I flung open the front doors of the station, looking for trouble, and almost ran right into Mr. Corwin. Howie, any news on the Greenwood case? Yikes, I thought. It's been a while since I've heard from you. I'm on it, Mr. Corwin. I'm pretty sure I'm close to finding what you want. Anything concrete? We had a conversation the other day, and he told me he doesn't think the thermalizer is for milk. Really? That got his attention. Yes, that's right. He said he didn't even think it was connected to the milk supply. I see. Did he mention what he thought it was for? Not that I recall, 
but he's very suspicious about us milkmen, except me, that is, since I've cozied up to him, like you suggested. He was asking a lot of questions about, well, the digging and the hole or whatever it is under your office. And what did you tell him? Nothing. I don't know anything to tell him. And even, of course, if I did, I can keep a secret. Mr. Greenwood also thinks there's something suspicious about what happened to Mr. Pyman. I overheard him at church telling someone that there was no prison boat that came and took him. And he also told me he'd been sneaking food down to Mr. Pyman. This is all very good, Howie. Better than I'd expected, in fact. Has Mr. Greenwood been talking to others about the thermalizer? I don't think so. He mentioned it to me with a lot of hesitation, like he was pretty nervous. Walk with me a minute, Howie. We walked down the main street together, and I felt proud as I could be to be walking with such an eminent figure in our community. I noticed that people on the sidewalk sort of instinctively got out of our way. I used to be a young milkman like you, Howie. Bright, ambitious. I was willing to do anything to secure my place in the organization. I was lucky enough to have a mentor. His name was Shane. Shane Finer. He taught me everything I know. He saw something in me when I was a lad, and he took me under his wing. I'm going to tell you a little story about him, Howie, and I'm going to trust that you'll keep it between you and I. He looked right at me, and I couldn't help looking away from such an intense gaze. He asked me to come along with him as an assistant in County Trim on the Plains. You might be too young to remember, but there was a pox on the cows there. Servidius. Not only did it kill most of the cows, it ate holes in the brains of many of the inhabitants. There were lawsuits. Shane and I went as emissaries of the department, trying to smooth things over. I'd never seen tears and anguish of the bereaved like that. Those people were angry. I saw the cows rotting in the fields, and I'll never forget the smell. Everyone was too afraid to go near them. And they blamed us for the milk not being safe. Maybe they were right. And that's when Shane asked me about my loyalty to the department, how deep it really went, and how far I wanted to go in the organization. I was devoted and willing to do whatever it took. The dairy farmers, who really hadn't been careful enough with what they were feeding the cows, disappeared one by one. No one asked a lot of questions about it. There were rumors, but the official story was that they died of Servidius. No one really cared too much one way or the other. Their lands were repossessed by the department. They'd been leased, of course, after the farmers had gotten into financial straits. And as for the lawsuits, I remember Shane telling me, with a sufficient patrimony, they'll forgive even the death of their fathers. So there were payouts, all pretty routine, really. There were a few holdouts, and well, let's just say that the holdouts didn't hold out very long. Do you understand, Howie? I told him I did, although I wasn't exactly sure what he was getting at. 
At this point, we walked into a dry goods store, the one belonging to McMurdle's folks. Corwin went in, and I followed. Then you understand, Howie, how important loyalty is to me. I told him I did. That's good. That's good. And you're off to the radio station tonight, then. Yes, sir. Corwin started looking through the footwear section of the store. There was McMurdle's father standing a ways off, obviously not wanting to disturb two men of affairs in their conversation. We might also need you to help out with the maintenance work later this week. You're not afraid of going underground, are you? No, sir. Corwin motioned to the clerk. This lad needs new boots. Put it on my account. Yes, sir, the clerk said. Thank you so much, Mr. Corwin. My old boots were, in fact, almost worn through. Not that I minded too much, but new boots from Mr. Corwin. McMurdle's father was looking at my feet. We should have your size. I'll bring a couple in from the back. And off he went. Howie, there's one more thing. What's that, Mr. Corwin? I've heard rumors about you wandering in the night, screaming and acting very strangely. I didn't say anything, but I felt myself turn pretty red. Do you ever, during these episodes, see things that aren't really there? I wondered if Dr. Barrett had been talking to him. I've been seeing Dr. Barrett, and he's been a lot of help. I'm hoping there won't be any more episodes. Corwin looked at me sort of sideways. You haven't seen anything green? At sea, perhaps? At that point, I thought maybe he actually wanted me to have seen green things, so I furrowed my brows. At sea? I think I might have, on the coast road. Okay, Howie, we'll talk about this again. Enjoy the boots, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you again so much. Later, I walked out of that store like I was walking on a cloud. I was so proud of these shiny new boots, even though they pinched a bit being so new. I had to pass the station on the way home, and lo and behold, McMurdle was just emerging. I felt about six inches higher and thought to myself, I've pretty much arrived as a milkman. I bet I can find a way to get Stormy back from this schlumpf. Hey there, McMurdle. I thought maybe he'd notice the new boots and say something, but he didn't. Hello, Howie. Are you just getting done spraying for flies? Yes, that's right. Heading home, then? No, he said and raised his head a few degrees. I'm going to meet a girl. Oh, mind if I walk with you a bit? I wanted to ask you a few questions about the spraying in case I ever have to do it again. Sure, Howie, that's very prudent of you. A good milkman's got to be a jack of all trades. So on we walked, McMurdle yammering away about pipes and nozzles and God knows what else. I was thinking that I would play it cool and show Stormy it was no big deal that she was meeting with McMurdle. So in we went to the druggists. Stormy was there at the bar. She smiled when she saw McMurdle, then frowned when she saw me. She spun around on the swivel chair to face us. I hope that was helpful, Howie. I think it's great that you're looking to improve your skills. I'll see you tomorrow. Oh, hey, Stormy, I said. Hi, Howie. You know her? Sure, Stormy's on my route. 
McMurtle here has been telling me all about how he has to stay late after we're all done and spray bug juice all over the station. McMurtle nodded. It's a really important job. I hope you washed your hands really well before coming. The stuff really stinks. I couldn't help notice Stormy glance at the Peckerhead's hands. Of course I did. Then Stormy looked at me. My dad says he couldn't get that radio working. Nope, but I'm pretty sure I'll be able to afford my own pretty soon. Then I'll invite you guys over to listen to Eliza Pike with me. You like Eliza Pike? McMurdle piped up. You don't? Stormy asked. I tend to confine myself to more technical reading, to advance my career. Well, I think she's great. I love a really strong woman character, Stormy said. Me too, I said. I'd love to stay and chat, but I've got to get the truck gassed up and ready to go up the mountain. You know I can't talk about it too much. I left there feeling pretty good, like I'd made a real connection with Stormy. I couldn't believe we'd never spoken about Eliza before. I can talk for hours and hours about her. I was thinking I'd grab a sandwich, since I wouldn't have time to go home before heading out. But on the way to the sandwich shop, who did I see but the old hag who lived next to me? She was using her stick to push some trash off the sidewalk onto the street. There were ribbons and bits of colored string tied all around the top of the stick, and she had on her usual stained old trench coat. She was all hunched over. And to my horror, she spotted me and started hobbling over. I'd never actually spoken to her, except to yell at her through the walls. I thought about turning around and getting away, but it would have been too obvious. I stood there, and she came right up to me. There was a sort of pleading look in her eyes, and she tried to stutter something at me. Her eyes kept looking at me, and then looking away. I just stood and listened. At the crossroads? At the crossroad where we get cross because he didn't take off his shoes? And the cross of the mast and the yard arm meet as we go up the hill. And the hot crossed buns in the morning and we cross over and watch for carriages and ducks crossing and cross your fingers, cross your fingers and you'll be all right. And then she put her arm on my shoulder and looked right at me and I saw her eyes were glistening. Thank you. Thank, thank you. And she smiled and walked off. I guess she really had to get that off her chest. It seemed to make her feel better anyways. Maybe she wasn't so bad after all. I felt like I'd done another good deed for the day. I got my sandwich and even left a penny tip in the jar. I got my papers from weird old beaver and didn't even care about his blank frog eyes watching me. I hopped into the truck and headed off into the late afternoon redness, imagining lying on my bed with Stormy, listening to the radio and then talking about Eliza, and then rolling around in clean sheets. Up the winding road and past the farms, I waved and smiled at the few farmers, and breathed in the crisp fall air, admired the brilliant orange and red leaves on the occasional trees along the road. By the time I got to the radio shed and looked out over the island, 
I thought maybe there could be a bright future for me after all. I sat on the rickety bench, ate my fish sandwich, which tasted even better than usual up here, and watched the sun tilting over the horizon. The sun was going down earlier these days. Then I ducked into the shed a couple of minutes before it was time. With the message sent, I took a deep breath of the evening air, looked up at the stars, and felt my heart freeze when I remembered that I'd forgotten to fill the truck up with gas. I tapped the gas tank, and it didn't sound like there was much in there. The milk trucks didn't have fuel gauges like fancy cars in the big cities. The headlights had enough oil to light my way, and I thought I'd be able to coast most of the way down the mountain. I got the truck started and let it roll down the road. I made pretty good progress. Maybe I'd make it, I thought. I started picking up speed and decided not to touch the brakes. I was a pretty good driver, so I thought I could handle it. Around a couple of curves, I went too quickly, and I felt the truck leaning over a bit too much. I'll admit, this was pretty scary. But I made it. At the big bend close to the bottom, I was going faster than I'd ever gone before, the wind whipping past. As the truck leaned into the curve, I lost my nerve and hit the brake, but a bit too hard. I felt the right two wheels come off the ground for a second, but I eased off the brake and then pushed it again more gently. That worked. I got the thing slowed down and under control, but I was shaking and sweating from almost rolling the truck over. But sure enough, as I hit the gas to get back up to speed, the motor sputtered and died. I felt like a right idiot, but there was nothing to do now. I hopped out and looked around. Low hills, a sparse forest, just a few trees here and there, and not a light to be seen. There was nothing to do but start walking. It was a bit spooky for me, actually. I'd never in my life been alone in the outdoors at night. I didn't know what to make of all the little noises. But of course, there was nothing to be afraid of. It clouded over and got quite dark. I saw something white looming in the distance. Was it moving? I couldn't tell if my eyes were playing tricks on me. As I got closer to the white thing, that really did seem to be moving, the trees thinned out and made way for a farm of some kind. I was walking along a rough-hewn wooden fence, and slowly but surely, the white thing became clear. It was a cow, all white. In fact, as I got really close, I thought it must be the cow Frank had brought to the milk station the other night. Not a black hair on him. I didn't see any other cows around, but there was a laneway. There was a small sign at the entrance. I got up close. D-O-L-A Experimental Farm. How odd, I thought. Up the lane, maybe 200 yards, was a cottage with some lights on. I started walking, figuring I'd just have to ask for help for the night. 
If they worked for the department, even on contract, surely they'd be willing to help out an errant milkman. At the door, with my hand about to grab the knocker, the thought popped into my head. If these were department people, I'd be making a very poor impression, and I don't mind admitting that the man from Dola had given me the willies. I had no desire to spend an evening with such a man. Maybe a little circumspection was in order. I stepped off the porch and crept around the side of the cottage. I peered in the window. It was a neat and tidy dining room. A man and woman were eating. Just plain old farmers as far as I could tell. There was a big fire going inside and it dawned on me that I was quite cold. I propped myself up to get a better look at their dinner. It looked good. Thick stew, potatoes, big glasses of ale. The woman got up and I saw that behind her was... She looked like she'd seen a ghost, but she'd just seen my face in the window. Jack, someone's at the window. He turned, also looking surprised. I didn't want to alarm them, so I shouted, I'm the milkman! The milkman! Oh my god, Jack, he's crazy! Get the gun! I ran across the field. I heard the door open. Don't you come back here! Not much chance of that, I thought, as I hopped over the fence. Back up the road, I decided it would be best if I just tried to get some sleep in the truck. I sat back down. I was soaked with sweat, and as I said, it was getting cold up in these hills. There wasn't really anywhere to lie down, so I just stretched my legs out and hugged myself for warmth. The milkman's uniform is just one layer of thick cotton. I started to shiver and had no idea how long I'd have to sit here. I contemplated walking back up the mountain to the shed, but it would probably take a good two hours, and my only hope of getting back to town was flagging someone down on the road, and no one would be passing up there. I may have dozed a bit. There seemed to be dreams as stormy feeding me stew. I imagined weird calves with fiery red eyes wandering through the woods and looking in at me. I turned and shifted, but couldn't get comfortable. I found myself singing songs out loud to pass the time. I had that tired stomach feeling. I got colder and colder and really had no idea if hours or minutes had passed. The shed it is. I hopped out and started walking, my legs stiff with the cold. After a few paces, I heard heavy footsteps in the woods. Some animal, maybe more than one. I didn't know what lived out here. I heard a stick crack and ran back into the truck. I caught my breath and figured it was probably a squirrel or something that just sounded loud in the dark. But I'd just have to stick it out here in the truck. I was more or less asleep when I heard the distant sound of an engine. I opened my eyes and the horizon was pink. I hopped out and waved the truck down. It slowed and stopped. A potato farmer poked his head out. What's the trouble there, young man? I made it into town and was a bit late to my rounds, but I made them all. I had to tell Frank about what happened. He didn't seem as annoyed as I thought he would. He had to come with me in another truck with a can of gas. Then we'd both drive back together. Hold on, just want to grab a few cans for the road, he said before we set off. As we pulled out of the station, 
He cut a hole in the beer can with an opener, and as he drove, he held the beer between his legs like an expert. To my surprise, Frank was quite a conversationalist and seemed to take an interest in me. We spoke about the town. He was new here too. He'd come over with Corwin and was used to city life, but he seemed to like the island life so far. He was a few tins in when he got on to real milkman business. Here you're going to be going underground with us before too long. Good on you, lad. You must have impressed the old man. Between you and me, there's going to be some personnel changes over the next little while. The old man wants every milkman to be part of the program, so to speak. Listen, I'll tell you what. When you're down there, you might see things you ain't expecting to. But a milkman, and I mean a real milkman, if you're going to be one of us, you keep your cool. You'll get the hang of it. Just be patient, don't ask too many questions, be loyal, and don't talk about it with no one. When you're underground, you see a lot of strange things. I certainly did. But a milkman, a real milkman, doesn't flinch. Now, I can't get into what we do down there, and even if I could tell, you might not have the stomach for it. But I heard it from Frank that the ones who can't keep their cool won't be milkmen much longer. I was back at the druggists with Stormy and McMurdle. They were staring at me, wide-eyed. I don't believe it, McMurdle said. Why would milkmen be going underground? Why would milkmen have to go to secret radio stations to deliver strange messages? And didn't you ever hear all that digging just after Corwin arrived here? What did you see down there? Stormy wanted to know. Can you two keep a secret? Come with me. It was evening, and it was getting dark. I took them to the far end of the parking lot. I took the cover off the hole in the ground. If you really want to know what it's like, lower yourself down there. McMurdle looked very skeptical, but Stormy was fascinated. I'm not going down there. Suit yourself. Only a real milkman can handle it, like I said. Are you going to do it? Stormy asked him. He was looking a bit green, but Stormy was looking at him with those big, imploring eyes. He sucked in his breath. I had some matches from home, which I gave him. And he got down, hung his legs over the side, and to my great surprise... He let himself slide down into the hole. Stormy and I watched him disappear. I didn't hear any matches or see any light. Albert? Stormy called. Albert? That's his name! I never thought of McMurdle as someone with a first name. But anyways, we stood there chatting until it got dark, and Albert never came back up. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.